0: Well, we're continuing our look or our study in uh, prayer as we wrap up these 30 days of praying alongside others in the city of uh, Katy in West Houston for our neighbors. And as we wrap it up, I want to turn to James chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open there to James chapter 4, where we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Again, that's James chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? What causes quarrels and, causes, and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is God's word. And God. Would you please have a seat? Well, so far, again, this is our... Our sixth week in this look of prayer and fasting and most of those weeks is the fifth week on, on prayer. And hopefully in those weeks you've had at least one or two takeaways that have encouraged and enabled or fostered your own prayer life. Hopefully it is, it, you've seen it, some growth this, uh, during this past 30 days, these past 45 days as it were. Uh, you may not have gotten it all quite there. You may find that there are some things that you still struggle with. But let's just remember some of those things that hopefully will encourage you. One, as you think about prayer and why we ought to pray at all, we saw that, well, prayer works. That God absolutely works through the prayers of people. And and as Nathan was pointing out through that parable, there are some things, we could actually put all things under that, that just simply cannot happen except by prayer. So hopefully that encourages you to pray a little bit. We also consider the idea that we are invited to engage in a, in a relationship with God, and prayer encourages us to do that. Jesus tells us to, to go and lock yourself in an inner room and pray in secret. The whole idea is you're finding a place away from distraction, away from the observations of other people, where it can just be between you and the Lord. In a way, what we're meant to see is that prayer isn't only a means to some other end of getting things, but prayer itself is an end. The prayer itself is its own reward for we're engaging with a God who loves us. We, we noted how we are to pray like children. As, we, as children approach their parents, we ought to approach God in a sense that we have, we, we come to God with, with no pretense, with no fear, of asking of things. And we come to the Lord, just as our kids do, with great expectation that He will, in fact, respond. We we, we consider the fact that we are to go uh, humbly and not boastfully to the Lord. And the reason for that is the idea of boasting is that we are seeking to find glory for ourselves in something that we can do or something that we are or something that we have. And the Lord is saying, look, I want you to come up before me humbly because the place where you get your glory, your affirmation, your sense of worth... Is from me. So come, set aside the things that you might find yourself proud of, that you might find yourself is giving you value and worth, because that's, that's a falsehood. Come to me humbly in prayer, and I will remind you of how much you are worth. I will remind you of where your value comes from. So these are all encouraging things to motivate us to pray. But I know, again, still, sometimes that is hard to translate into actually affecting your prayer life, and I wanted to deal with some of those on this last Sunday to be, to be a little more practical, to be a little more hands-on, to find, to address one thing that perhaps is a roadblock to us praying regularly, uh, and, and then deal with some practical things at the end. Because I think one of the things that keeps us from wanting to pray regularly is this notion, whether we think it consciously or subconsciously, that God doesn't really answer prayer, and we might fuel that by thinking that while well, I have played, prayed plenty of, plenty of prayers that seem to have gone unanswered. Unanswered prayer is a reality, at least in our observation it is a reality and James is addressing that point blank in this text and we're going to talk about it and kind of unpack it. I think the other things are more practicality, I just simply haven't been able to establish the habits that enable me to pray regularly. And so we'll talk about some of those things at the end. But I first want to address that very important kind of objection. is To think that, well, God, I have had too many prayers in my own life that go unanswered. And that is a discouragement to me to pray to the Lord. To think that He will actually do anything. To go expectantly before the Lord. So let's look at what James says. In a nutshell, he says in verses 2 and 3, some verses that we're familiar with. You do not have because you do not ask. There's one reason why your prayers are unanswered. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Well, there's another reason why our prayers might go unanswered. So let's just start right there and see what we can learn. And I think the very first important thing that's very practical to learn is that you must learn to ask God for things. I know that sounds so simple and so basic, but I don't think it's a lesson that we've learned. (laughs) I mean, he's writing to the church. He says, you don't have, because you don't ask. You haven't yet learned to go to the Lord and to ask Him for things. Uh, This is true in my own life. So many things that I think about that need to happen, that need to go on to happen. And I just realize at one point, I haven't even asked the Lord about that thing. I haven't even gone to the Lord to ask about that thing. I've just kind of assumed that He would bring it along, that He would do something about it. We must learn to ask God for things rather than just assume he's going to provide what we need. Now, that's not to say that he doesn't know what he needs. We, he knows exactly what we need, but there, are, there is an implication here that he is intentionally withholding those things until you ask, perhaps for the purpose of helping to nurture that relationship of dependence, of appreciation, of knowing where those provisions are actually coming from. Jesus says something very similar in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, when he's teaching on prayer to his disciples. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? I mean, one, He's reminding us that He is our Father. He is a Father. A Father who supplies for His children. But it, it is, He says something interesting, and then He wraps that up this way. He says, um, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to, and who does He say? To those who... Assume he's going to help them? Those who ask him. I mean, it is funny that this has to be a point in a sermon because we don't ask. You don't have, you wonder, because you haven't actually asked God specifically. So we have to learn to ask. I know that brings up another question, well, what do we ask for? We ask God for things. But what does that mean? What qualifies as things? I mean, is God, like the ultimate vending machine, he has one of everything in his his box, and he's just waiting for you to go push whatever button you think you need, and it's gonna be delivered? No, that's not quite right either. Uh, That brings us, of course, to the next one. We have to learn exactly, well, what, what are we to ask God? Yes, we have to learn to ask God for things, but for what are we to ask God? And that's not hard to answer either, Jesus tells us, specifically, in that last sentence, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things? It's not just things that we ask for, it's good things. Good things we're to ask for. Now we have to ask another question. What are good things? (laughs) As opposed to bad things. And it is interesting that he doesn't specify. He just says things. I don't think it's the specific thing that makes it good or bad. There's something else that we're going to see that's going to make it good or bad. But in the meantime, it's, we, have to, we have to learn to ask God for good things. Now, to help us understand, I think, what good things are, I want to draw you back to the context of James, James chapter four, because he spells some things out, and he's describing the condition of the people to whom he's telling to ask for good things. He says this, what in verses one and two, what causes quarrels and fights among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet it and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So this, here's the conditions he's describing. You are described like this, you desire and you do not have. What does that mean? It means you're in, you in a place, you're in a deficit, you're in a place of want. Uh, of, you have you're of a place of empty feeling. There's something missing in my life that I need to be filled. You desire and do not have. So there's an unmet desire being described in you. Secondly, he describes um, you covet and cannot obtain, which kind of is reiterating the same thing. There's things that you are seeing out there that other people have, and they look perhaps happy because they have those things, and I want them, but I can't get them, and that's creating another problem for me. So this is the situation. We're asking for good things. Good things must be things that somehow fill the sense of emptiness that I feel inside. We're gonna call that good things. We don't know specifically what those things are, but we know we're praying for good things that will fill the void that I feel in my own life. And you know what that's like, right? I mean, every day you wake up and there is a sense that there's something left undone. There's something that's not quite right. There's an itch that has yet to be scratched in my life. There's a hole that has yet to be filled. I mean, there's one sense in which that's good because we're not yet yet in the presence of God in fullness. So there is going to be a sense of continual discontentment that drives us closer and closer to the Lord as believers. But we feel that. We don't always know what it is exactly we're feeling, but we're, we're always looking for something to fill it. I mean, this is what drives people in life. It may be that you... You you feel, I need to find another job because the one I'm having isn't isn't satisfying. It's not filling my need. It's not filling my void. Or I need to find a new set of friends because these friends aren't doing it for me. Or you fill in the blank. What is it that you're trying to pursue or find, whether it's an object, whether it's a person, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's a, a vacation whether it's a hobby, I mean all of these different things, whether it's an ideology, whether it's a political party, whether it's a candidate, whether it's a president, I mean any of these things we could fill in uh, that we would ask for, we would pursue, because we think if we could just get those things in place then I'll feel full, then I'll feel satisfied, then I'll feel a sense of content, that I won't feel the continual driving sense of want anymore. We have to learn how to ask for good things, things that are aimed, truly aimed at filling that discontent that drives us forward. I know we've said this before, but I mean, this is the foundation of the, the advertising industry, isn't it? <laughs> it knows that we feel this emptiness and longing. So it's just appealing to that with their product. This is the product you need. you felt this discontent. Here's the product that's going to fill it. right? Whether it's this car, or it's this retirement fund account or if it's this hair product you know, for those of us who don't have any. <laughs> they're always, they're, they're filling this. You know very well and the the more effective are they're punching on the things that you feel. So we have this sense that we're to ask for good things that will satisfy this longing, this hunger, this nagging sense in us that is, that is missing. So what do, we, what do we ask the Lord for? We're if we have to learn to ask God, we have to learn to ask, ask God for good things. Well, you could simply start with a prayer Lord, I, I'm asking you for contentment. I'm asking you for fullness. Even if we don't exactly know what that is yet, we can simply leave it like that. But let's, let's press on. Let's continue to go, because that's still a little bit vague. We want to get more specific. How do we know what will fill that void? We look to God to fill it, but we don't know what we need from Him to fill it. So we keep reading in James, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So there's another reason why prayers aren't answers, because we ask wrongly. And it's interesting that he's not saying we're asking for the wrong things... He's saying we're asking for the wrong reasons because of what you want to do with the thing for which you're asking. You want to spend it on your own passions. Now, the word passions in the Greek is the word hedone, hedone. so where do we get the word hedonistic from? It went along with kind of the ancient Greek philosophy of Epicureanism, which means you are to pursue worldly pleasures in order to fill that void in your life, pursue worldly, earthly, earthly Fleshly pleasures to fill your void. That's what it's saying is the answer. So, for asking God to give us things that's going to satisfy these earthly desires, that's what he says they're doing. And he's, he's pitting up two things against each other. One, there are things of the world and there are things of God. And if you love the things of the world, you're an enemy of God because you can't do both at the same time. And I think that's often where we fall into. We ask for things. So we're doing good in that we're going to God. We've got the, at least the first part. We're asking. That's good. And we're asking for things. We've got two of them right. But we're asking for things that we're going to go then and use to spend on our earthly passions. Now, if God is a good father and he knows what's going to happen with these earthly passions, if you, if you have adopted this philosophy that if I can pursue these earthly passions, I will find contentment, what God knows is that won't bring you contentment. In fact, it's going to bring you it's going to bring you ultimately death. Maybe not in the short term, but that road is going to a place that a good father doesn't want his child to be on. So it's not like he, out of spite is saying, no, I'm not going to give you what you want because of what you're going to spend it. He's saying, I'm not going to give you what you want because if I do, you're going to get closer to destruction than you are right now. I mean, he is actually living out the good father part by saying no if you want to spend it in ways that are counter to what will be helpful for your own soul and he says some things in here and when we read it from James it sounds it sounds harsh you know he goes on you adulterous people later on he goes on and calls you double minded I think we get the double minded part where on the one hand we're going to God that's good so our mind is bent towards God but on the other hand we want to spend it on things related to the world for worldly happiness. There is a double-mindedness there. We're we're stuck in the middle and he says you can't be double-minded. You need to get off the fence as it were. You need to be one place or the other. But the idea of calling them adulterous is an interesting term because through the Old Testament God often gives this imagery that God's people and God are are husband and wife. They're, they're, They're married so as, a, as God as a, as a husband to his people as a wife, as we examine that relationship, there's this idea of, of adultery of the people of God pursuing other gods. He says that's an adulterous relationship. You are you're pursuing other lovers when I am your husband. So for example, if you go read the, the, the prophet Hosea, that's his whole message. His whole message, of course, Hosea, unfortunately, had to live this out. He says, go and marry this woman, Gomer, who is, who is a prostitute, who is willing who is to be unfaithful to you. And if she takes the good gifts that you have given to her, and she turns around and she spends them to pursue them and finding lovers for herself outside of your marriage. So they're taking the gifts that you as a husband have provided and given them to pursue other lovers. That's an adulterous relationship. And that's what James is saying. That's what you're doing if you're going to God and asking for things that you can turn around and spend on worldly pleasures. And when I say worldly pleasures, I'm talking about looking to things of the world to satisfy the emptiness of the soul. So if I'm looking to my job, I'm praying to God for a new job because my current job isn't fulfilling me and I want a job that's going to fulfill me, well, what are you doing? You're asking God to give you things that's going to that's going to help you look for a fulfillment of that from something in the world. Or if I'm asking God for, uh, what is it that you ask God for? If I'm asking God for a new relationship, because the current relationship isn't filling my void. Again, you're pursuing something in this world to fill your void that only God can fill. Which really brings us kind of to our our last aspect of it, which is to make God your passion. Make God your passion. Again, you can't be double-minded. The only one who can fill that emptiness that you're feeling is God Himself. There's a great psalm that helps Let's understand this it kind of explains it psalm 34 and the verse i want to look at is actually on the front of your bulletin it says delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart you know this is another way of saying exactly what james is saying he says you want answers to your prayers remember the reason you don't have answers to prayers is one because you you haven't asked at all or if you've asked, you're asking God for things that you can turn around and spend on worldly pursuits. When the right answer is to think, I'm asking God for things that are going to facilitate finding my joy in the Lord. So what does Psalm 374 say? Delight yourself in the Lord. That's the key. Delight yourself in the Lord. That means make the Lord your delight. Know the Lord to be your treasure. Because if that's the case, if you found yourself to be there, then the the result is He will give you the desires of your heart. He will, in other words, answer your prayers. He will be exchanging the desires for things of the world with the desires of things that line up with His will. That's why I title this message, Thy Will Be Done. Because that's what we're learning how to do To make God our ultimate end. To make God and the relationship that we have with the Lord be the thing that fills the empty void in our soul. Now I know that's easy to say, especially in the church, but it's a a hard thing to comprehend. It's a hard thing to get hold of. And it's something that we battle with every day. Why do we battle with it every day? Because we live in the midst of a culture that tells us the opposite all the time. If you want to liken it to a current in a river, we are currently... We are constantly being carried by this current in another direction. So we have some specific instruction that helps us with what he says if we continue to read in James. Beginning in verse 5. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So here's the instruction. We are to draw near to God. We are to submit ourselves to God. We are to remember that God is our ultimate delight. You know, A couple of weeks ago, for those of you who are reading the 30-day uh, awakening devotional, Uh, I wrote one on treasures, uh, about the treasures, the parables of the kingdom, if you remember that. You know, those those two, they're such, those are such foundational uh, parables, especially that speak to this. The whole idea that there's one man who finds a treasure, that you are, the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field, and you, the man, goes and finds it, and when he finds it and realizes how great a treasure it is, he goes and sells everything he has so he can obtain that treasure. You know, the, the idea is to see, you need to see how valuable the kingdom of God actually is. And when you do, it is no-brainer to go spend everything else, to get rid of everything else, in order to obtain it, to buy it. But then the next parable is fascinating. He says Because he, now he's turning a little bit. He's twisting it. It's very similar, but he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of great pearls. And when he finds one... He goes and, in essence, gives up everything he has in order to obtain it. But in the first one, you'll notice the kingdom is like the treasure and you're like the one pursuing the treasure. In the second one, the kingdom is like the merchant and he's in pursuit of something, great pearls. Well, what are the great pearls? The great pearls are his people, are you. And if, on the one hand, we are supposed to give up everything we have in order to obtain that great treasure of the kingdom, what do we notice the merchant is giving up? He, too, is giving up everything in order to obtain you, the great pearl. So we are to remember, it helps us to see how great is this treasure of the kingdom of God. It's so great that he was willing to sacrifice everything, literally, as God sent his own dearest son to earth to die in our place. That was the merchant selling all that he had in order to obtain you as the great pearl so that we could now give up all we have in order to gain the treasure of the kingdom of God. So how do you resist the current of our culture? How do you resist the devil? You draw near to God. It's not that you observe how evil the devil is, it's you observe how delightful the Lord is. You draw near to God, you submit to God, and as a result of that, you resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So how do we have our prayers answers? Well, we, we have to, first of all, remember, we have to ask. It may be that God is simply waiting to answer your prayers so that you'll know He is the one entering. And second, we have to learn to ask for good things, things that we ultimately know are about filling the discontent and the emptiness of the soul. And thirdly, we have to know that the only thing that will fill the emptiness of the soul is a relationship with God. And the reason we can have a relationship with God is because God was the great merchant who gave up His Son to buy you. So, God does answer prayer. So don't let that be a stumbling block to come before God, but He answers prayers that are going to be good for you. He answers prayer that you can use in such a way to spend on developing and nurturing that relationship with Him. So if you want to go back to that Hosea example for just a minute, Hosea is married to a woman, he's giving her gifts, and she's turning around and spending those on pursuing lovers. What if she instead she took those gifts and used them to pursue and nurture and develop a relationship with her husband? How great a relationship would that be? That's what the Lord is asking you to do. He, he is rich beyond all measure. There is nothing beyond His ability to give you. As long as He knows that you're asking for it for the purpose of bringing glory to Him which gives glory to you. So let's deal with some practical matters. I want to give you four pieces of very practical things to take away from this. One, to help you develop your prayer life. One, commit to developing new habits. We are people who live by routine. I mean, if I asked you what does your week look like, you could probably tell me, well, Monday I do this, and Tuesday I do this, and Wednesday I do this, and Thursday I do this, and probably your morning is a very familiar routine. You know, I get up a similar time every morning, I go, in the, I go in the kitchen, I pour myself a cup of coffee, I sit in the exact same spot on the couch, you know, I open my Bible app, I turn it on, I listen to my Bible reading, I mean, this is what I do every single day, it's just routine, I don't even think about it, it's just a habit, and, and you're like that too, you, you, your life is just a series of habits, so if you want to develop your prayer life, you simply have to make a commitment to developing new habits that include prayer. You may say, that's hard, I don't really know what to say, I've tried that in the past, it's been hard. I would just say this, sometimes you don't have to know what to say. You have to develop the time, set aside the time, and I, I, if you develop this to be a new habit in your life, you've dedicated these 10 minutes, these 15 minutes every morning. That was kind of the model that Jesus gave of going off in the morning by himself to get away. <clears throat> if you devote that time, it may be hard the first week, the first month, the first two months, because you don't know what to say. But if that becomes part of your routine and you've worked at it, you will begin to learn to fill in what that prayer looks like. But you have to commit to the routine first. Secondly, be regular in worship. Be regular in worship. You say, well, why is that? (laughs) Worship every week brings us to the throne of God worship every week at least forces you to come into communing presence with the Father if you yourself are feeling a bit dry feeling like God is not present will you come into the context of the people of God and you will find him there and you will remember that he's there you hear once again familiar aspects of the scripture taught that talk about how much God loves you how secure he is for you, how how much he has things under control, how great he is. I mean, these are things that remind us of the character of God that hopefully encourage and invite you to invest in that time in prayer. So commit to developing new habits. Two, be regular in worship. Three, use the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, that's what he gave them. That was his response. The Lord's Prayer, here's how you should pray. I'm not saying you have to use the formula of the actual words. I mean, you can. But the idea is that look at the pattern of His prayer. It's how we pattern all of our worship services, by the way, on Sunday morning, as I mentioned. I mean, the first thing you do in the Lord's Prayer is recognize Him as your Father. Remember? We come as a children. So the first thing we do is, oh, you're our Father. I can come to you. And the second thing we do is we say... Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. This is my aim in life. And it's reminding you of that. This is where my delight is. is in the holiness, the glory of the Lord. So I begin my prayer that way. That's, I'm resetting my whole focus on life by understanding that this is my aim. My life is meant to be about bringing glory to God. See, this is actually meant to become the desire of your heart. To see the Lord's name lifted up. So as we go on, as we think about the rest of the petitions after that, I would say really they're meant to facilitate that. What do you need in order to bring glory to the name of God? Well, you need daily bread. You need to have your sins forgiven. You need to have Him lead you away from temptation. To deliver you from the evil one. I mean, these are petitions that all support the aim of bringing glory to the Lord. So use the Lord's Prayer, the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. One, commit to developing new habits. Two, be regular in worship. Three, use the Lord's Prayer. And the last one, which is what really we've been preaching on, ask God to give you the desires of your heart. Ask God to give you the desires of your heart. I mean, that means at least two things. One, ask God to put desires that are in line with this in your heart. To give you the desires. And two, once those desires are there, ask Him to meet them. Ask Him to meet them. Lord, give me the desires of my heart. Become my delight. And He will give you the desires of your heart. He will answer those prayers. So, this wraps up our series on prayer. As you've looked at, hopefully you're encouraged to to pray, but hopefully also you have some practical ways in which you can Begin to foster and develop and nurture your own prayer life. Commit to developing new habits. Be regular in worship. Use the Lord's Prayer as your model and ask God to give you the desires of your heart. Know that God answers prayer, but you have to ask Him. And you have to ask Him for good things that are going to fill that void in your soul. And the only thing that's going to fill that void in your soul is a relationship with God. And He has made that possible because He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you, to demonstrate how much you are worth to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you invite us to pray, that we can have a relationship with you, that we can bring to you real needs, real concerns, real anxieties. We can be our honest selves before you and come praying expectantly, asking you that that you would... Fill our heart with the right desires and then answer those desires that you have put there. Lord, help us to walk away this morning with a commitment to invest in our prayer life, our relationship with you in Jesus' name.